Well, I appreciate it, Tyson. It's always a good chance to uh, even connect with Tyson on the phone and talk over ministry and life, and uh, really encouraged by him and by all of you, and, and uh, applaud you guys because you all have figured out how to do this social distancing and returning to church. And it is pretty tricky. The church where I'm at in southern Indiana, uh, we haven't figured it out yet. We're still online and trying to make sure we can do the thing with the kids right. And, and uh, so I appreciate you guys paving the way for some of us who are trying to figure out how to manage that and re-enter into all of that. When Tyson gave a holler a few months ago, said, would you mind to, to preach on this weekend? And he said, what we're doing is this uh, kind of uh, greatest hits tie one of your favorite songs together with a favorite scripture, and hopefully they'll make sense together. I said, oh man, I, I could do all year on that. I'm, I'm one of those recovering, any recovering music lovers out there. You have your, your, your iPhone's pretty full with a lot of uh, I, uh, iTunes songs and things like that. I very much am. Uh, I believe that when Paul said in the New Testament to take every thought captive, he also meant take every song captive. And take every song that you've ever heard and just think, ah, if it was a little bit different, maybe this would make a little more spiritual sense. I'm 65. I'm a kid who grew up in Palmyra, Illinois, an hour from here, little town of 800, little church of, eight, uh, of 80, and grew up going to church camp at a place called Montgomery, Macoupin and Montgomery counties, kind of together. I did get to go to Bond a couple of weeks when Lynn Laughlin had uh, my last two years in high school of uh, 71 and 72, uh, the Christian athletes, or uh, in my honor, they called it the Christian athlete wannabe week of camp, okay? So I, I, I've been there, and I, I'm a kid who went to church camp ever since he was nine years old, and I never came home. I just love the music at camp. I love the, the, the what's next that God's doing, the interaction, and all of those kinds of things. So to think about finding a song, whether it's a church song or a secular song, and tied together with its scripture is stuff I do in my head all the time. And some of them are tight fits, some of them are kind of loose. I have to honestly acknowledge, we have to take a moment and understand church music, though. If you grew up in church, uh, just, just a little poll, how many kind of grew up in going to church for the most part? How many are a slow train coming? We're glad you're here, but it took a while, okay? That's all right. I, I'm one of those who grew up in church, so I was the kid in the back row uh, uh, who was trying to stay awake during the whole thing and uh, counting the tiles and how many stained glass we got over here. And, you know, I'd have all the songs you kind of hear over you. I've never understood how back in the old days, for those of you who might remember, we would take happy songs putting them with sad melodies. And sad songs with very happy melodies. In other words, why would we sing back in the day, uh, Oh, happy day that fixed my choice on thee, my Savior and my God. Why would we do that? When we would turn around and sing, Years I spent in vanity and pride. Hey, caring not my Lord was crucified. Yeah, uh, why? Shouldn't that be the other one? I didn't ever figure that out. But I love church music. I love the old hymns. I love choruses. I love the new worship music. I love a thing that was kind of in the 70s and 80s, only in that era called scripture songs. In other words, for those of us who wanted and couldn't get away with the murder we get away with today, you couldn't have drums on the stage or a guitar. But if we we're going to have a new course, it had to sound like King James language. 
Okay, the hithers and the tithers and the verilies and the these and the thous. I remember one of my favorites was, as the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after thee. And we had to make sure that that, to make it all work with everybody of any age and the young bucks like us coming up, it had to be all that same way together. So I love the element of worshiping God and taking thoughts captive, things that we'll see in our culture, and then things that we'll realize deep in our heart that are true that we need to bring about, and even taking some songs and putting them together. I've loved all the messages. I've got to uh, hear D on uh, Don't Worry, Be Happy. I just want to start whistling every time I see him, you know? You hear that sermon and that song? Uh, Jesse, on the idea of Justin Bieber being sorry, I'm so glad that he is, and I hope that's helped. But he, great. <laughs> Great theme to tie together on a sermon. It's awesome. And I got to hear Tyson, Stevie Wonder would be proud of uh, Signed, Sealed, Delivered. But brace yourself and buckle up for Daryl next weekend. I'm going to tune in and listen to that when he hits Amazing Grace. I love this thought because I love last verses that appeal for what Tyson said, the presence of God. Uh, one of the top 10 songs in heaven, I'm guessing, is How Great Thou Art, you know. Oh, Lord, my God, when I have an awesome wonder, consider all the things thy worlds have made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe dismayed. Then sings my soul. But the last verse, the last verse, anybody know the last verse? When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home what joy shall fill my heart then I will bow in humble adoration and there proclaim my God how great thou art I love last verses I love the last verse of it is well with my soul is written by a fellow who lost his wife and his kids in a transatlantic journey he wasn't with them so as he's back from America to Europe and headed back the captain, after he had lost you know, his, his family a few months before, the captain of the ship went to get him and he said, listen, you need to know it was right about here where your family went down in that shipwreck. And this fellow goes down into his little room on the, on the ship and he writes these words, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, Thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it's well with my soul. He goes on with the last verse and the whole idea of the return of Christ and the trump will resound and the Lord will descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. And I think last verses are different songs. In the 80s, I was a youth minister and tried to get all of our kids not to listen to secular music, but listen to uh, Michael W. Smith, Petra, all sorts of Christian music that was going on. And we took them to a Petra concert, and, and Petra had this one song called The Road to Zion. And I love the last verse of that because it simply says, there is a way that leads to life, the few that find it never die. Past mountain peaks, grace white with snow, the way grows brighter as it goes. And the course, there is a road inside of you. Inside of me, there is one too. No stumbling pilgrim in the dark. The road to Zion, the city of God, is in your heart. But the last verse, they simply say, sometimes it's good to look back down. We've come so far, we've gained such ground. But joy is not in where we've been. Joy is who's waiting at the end. And I just think, oh, man, that is so true. It, it affects the, 
the heart and the longing that we have to be in the presence of God and just to celebrate that. And I appreciate so much the way you all, you do your worship and take a moment of communion and, and focus and try to bring everybody together. Three services. You know how many churches don't want to do more than one? <laughs> you guys are doing great by being able to, to say we want the presence of God to be experienced by everybody as long as we can have room and social distancing and, and make it all work. Now, if you want to turn in your Bible, if you have one, uh, the, the scripture will appear in a moment. Let me summarize Acts 3, 1 through, uh, oh, about, uh, let me see, 18. And then we'll pick up and we'll read 19 and 20. But in 1 through 18, it's simply uh, Peter and John, they, they go to the, uh, the temple, they're going to pray. And what happens is then uh, there's, a, there's a, a, a crippled fellow right there. He's been crippled all his life. And he's just kind of, hey, you got an extra buck. He's just, just begging. And uh, that was the culture. That's where they would hang out because people had a little spare change in their pockets, and that's what they did. They knew they not only gave to the Lord the temple or their tithe and, and whatever, they also would tip a little bit, you know, and, and help some people that were hurting. It's a good thing. But this fellow is looking at Peter and John, and he doesn't realize who they are and what they've done and who they've been with, and he's asking for a little bit of money, and they say, you know what? Uh, I don't have any silver, and I, we don't have any gold, but what we have is a faith in Jesus Christ, and in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, Peter says, you stand up and walk. And he didn't plan, he never walked a step in his life, but because of his faith and his belief in what he'd heard about Jesus and this command from Jesus' followers, he stands up and his body strengthens, and he starts walking, and he really starts leaping and jumping all around. Can you imagine if you've never been able to walk, and now you can jump around? And I think of it in, in kind of Winnie the Pooh terms, okay? He, he came as Eeyore that day with a very tough time, and he left his tigger, you know? The wonderful thing about God is God is a wonderful thing. I'm sorry, that didn't work at any other service. I don't know why I thought it would this time, so... There we go, all right? So anyway, here he is, and all this is happening. They are so excited because this guy can, and the crowd comes up, and everybody listens. What happened? What happened? Wait a second. That's Harry. He's been crippled all his life. He's walking around and jumping, and he won't shut up about how the name of Jesus has, has healed him. And, and so everybody's listening, and the Bible says in, in verse 12, Peter realizes there's a crowd, and it says, seeing the opportunity, he saw the opportunity. Now, most preachers, when they get a crowd, they want to take an offering, but this guy wanted to preach. He wanted to say, all right, I, you guys, wow, God, I, I didn't know this was all going to happen today. Now i got to let them know. So for the next few verses, he tells them this simple gospel, the message of Jesus, how he died and was raised from the dead, and how they were guilty because they had rejected him, and they didn't believe in him, and, and you're not going to be saved any other way. And then in verse 19, let's take a look together. And see what he says as he winds this down and turns it into an invitation. He says, now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. And he will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. He said, he's coming back. You got to be ready. He's come here already. You missed it. Now as you repent and believe and turn away from your sin and trust him Salvation will come, refreshment will come, times of refreshment will come, but he says it will come from the presence of the Lord, of being with him. So the question I would simply ask today, and we know the answer, if you're here this, this weekend, 
If you've taken time to come to church with everything else going on, you know this answer. You're committed to it already, but I'm not sure everybody in the world, I know they're not. Even some that would kind of be a believer, but just checking things out. Is it a big deal to acknowledge Jesus as a Savior of the world? And we, we know it is. But sometimes we forget. Sometimes I forget that the people around me, if they don't have a faith in Christ, will face an eternity, eternity without him. And I have to, I have to own that responsibility of the gospel. Because if there's no belief in our life, then there's no presence of Jesus in our life. If there's no presence of Jesus in our life, then there's no hope, no eternal hope of heaven. If there's no eternal hope of heaven, then there's no spiritual refreshing. I love that you guys have hung on the word hope. Because that is what is missing. And hope comes with the gospel, with the story of Jesus, with the love of Jesus, with the message of Jesus, and with the presence of Jesus. Now that's where this song comes in. It's a song called Cool Change. I don't know if anybody's ever heard it. It was out in 1979 and kind of 1980 by an Australian group called Little River Band. They had some other songs, Real Neat Harmonies. Dee and I were aging as we speak, reflecting on the, our songs back in the day. And we were talking about all that. And, and there's something about uh, just listening to a song, and it has a catchy melody and, and harmony. But the song is all about this guy, and he, he just doesn't have any margin in his life, and he wants to go sailing, and that's pretty much it. Hey, that's, uh, that's kind of the essence of the song, and uh, uh, time for a cool change. And the way they say it, we'll tweak it in a little while, but the way they say it is, uh, now that my life is all prearranged, in other words, I don't have any margin to do anything. I just want to get away. And then he mentions all the albatross, the seagulls, and the whales. They are my brothers. And I sing to the moon like a lover. And, you know, they have to rhyme with certain songs. I don't know why they come up with words. They come up with that. And it's, but it's a, it's a neat song of just, I need a little room. I need to breathe here. Now, a lot of people in Australia said that Little River Band was, for them, was like the eagles are to people in America. Because the eagles had a song hotel california now i remember thinking that was like this whole satanic thing we haven't had this spirit here since 1969 and you could draw but you can't kill the beast and in youth ministry you just think ah it's the devil running around you know you think all those things because you don't know what to say next but i heard an interview with uh don henley i think of the eagles and he said when we put that song together hotel california he said nobody knows what it's about he said we know what it's about he said, we had to come and produce another album, and the, the record music industry that, that managed us, they said, we got to have another song. He said, we didn't have another song in us. You write a song, you record it, you tour it. You write a bunch, you, you, you record it, you tour it. You just keep doing it over, and eventually you come back, and you can't write anymore. There's just nothing there. And he said, so here we are with basically a gun to our head. You got to have another song, or we're going to default on the whole thing. And they took the image of Hotel California and said, that's kind of the evil element that the music industry has on you. You can check out, but you can never leave. Okay, little phrases like that. So all of that to say, that's what cool change is kind of like as well. Just needing a break. Just needing some fresh air. When we think in spiritual terms of 
receiving the presence of God and the blessing of Jesus where he said, two or three come together, I'm right there. What does that look like? And what maybe is the way that you connect with God most? Because we all have kind of a different pathway. Gary Thomas has a great book called Sacred Pathways. And what he says is he thinks there's about nine different ways of that basically people connect with God. And you're going to find yourself in one or two or three pretty much dominant ways. The first one is the naturalist. Loving God outdoors, the Tim Allen, our, 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 you know, last man standing, a Bass Pro Shop, Esau hunting with his dad rather than Jacob watching the Food Channel with his mom, okay? A whole different love to be outdoors kind of a thing. And if you feel closer to God outdoors, you're, you're a naturalist. Now, there's some that are called sensates because it's all about the senses, what you can taste, what you can touch, what you can see, what you can here, all of those things. In other words, uh, art and music would really line up with all of that really well. So if you're moved by music to connect with God, you're at least a, a bit of a sensate. If you're a traditionalist, you love God through ritual and symbol. And if you grew up with, let's say, a more formal liturgical or perhaps even Catholic background, symbols mean a lot in your experience of, of God. And that might be a way that you just simply connect with him uh, a little bit more uh, with that symbol. And tradition, we do it this way all the time. I, I married into southern Indiana. As mentioned, I'm from a little town in Illinois. I went to Lincoln Christian College and uh, wound up in youth ministry in 76, southern Indiana. And, I, I, and the church there was, oh goodness, it was a big church for me. It was over 300 people. The town was 5,000 and they had a pizza hut. I had died and gone to heaven. It is a big city compared to small town where I grew up at. And the church was very formal, all right? The choir had robes, and, uh, you know, every, everything was... A, and, and so I'm just kind of... We're a little more laid back down home. And, and uh, after we'd sung a few songs and had communion and offering, then all of a sudden, my first weekend there, I'm shocked because all of a sudden, here comes these parade of guys the deacons with offering uh, baskets and, and uh, money in that, and they're all singing, praise God from whom all blessings flow. The doxology, for the life of me, all I could think of is, oh, ee, oh, oh, ee, oh, you know, and I'm just thinking, here we are in the Wizard of Oz, you know, where am I? And, and it was because it was so formal and so different, but if you connect with that type of traditional thought, that's fine. It just, it's the way you connect. For some of us, it's ascetics, where we love God through solitude and simplicity. We may not be totally Amish, but we just want to make it simple, okay? And make it, ah, oh, just less is more. Or maybe you're an activist, and you love God through confrontation, and we're going to go do this, and we're going to talk about that, and we're going to face this head on. We, uh, Oh, about 10 years ago, we bought a, a little place down in, in New Albany. We're about 35,000 in the town. And downtown, a lot of poverty. And, and so we just thought, we want to have a presence. We're not starting another church down there. We just want to have a ministry center where we can have a food pantry and this and that and reach people, support groups, care about them, love them, help them through. Uh, so we wanted to have a presence. And, but we knew we had to tear down the inside of this one place. It was a, a car shop. And just to make it where we could come in and have some ministry, churchy kind of things. So we have one of our elders come up front, and he comes up in a Larry the Cable Guy cut-off shirt and a 
hard hat and a sledgehammer on his shoulder and short pants and boots. He comes at the end of the church service, and, and of course, you've got to play some music in the background, so you can't beat Taking Care of Business by Bachman Turner Overdrive, okay? 1974, I was there, all right? So here, here, here he comes, and he's doing that, and everybody wonder what's Scott Kiesler, what's old Scotty K going to be saying today? And he just gives this appeal and invites, anybody want to come help tear this place down next Saturday so we can have a ministry there? Come help tear it down so we can build it up. 30 guys show up, you know, really rough and ready, and they got hammers. They got everything. They're activists. If you just say, I want to do something, and that's the way I connect with God is doing something, that's fine. Everybody's not going to be that way, but you're probably going to have a hint of that. The next one is caregivers. Oh, my. Caregivers. Loving God by loving others. Mm. My dad's 95, he's going to be 96 in a couple of weeks. He's in a nursing home about a half hour from me over in Indiana. And I have grown to deeply appreciate over the last two, three years the role of in-home health care and the role of skilled nursing care. I don't know what they make, but it's not enough. <laughs> they have a tremendous heart and love, loving relationship and ministry by caregiving. I just did a funeral this last week for a lady. I didn't know her. I met her at church a time or two. Her and her husband didn't really know her, though. She was only 50, and she died of dementia. And it was a fast-acting, 18-month hard time. The reason they gave us a call was because her neighbor is very involved in the life of the ministry with us. And she just called, said, George, you got to come. Okay. <laughs> I can mask up and come on over to the house. And, and I kind of heard a little bit, but I didn't know. So it, it was because her neighbor was such a loving caregiver. How can I help? How can I help? That the next thing you know, we all get a chance to come around and bear the burdens of one another. Feeling the presence of God when you do what you're gifted in. Where there's a gifting, there is a calling. Now, some are enthusiasts, and enthusiasts love God with mystery and with celebration, and they say things like, wow, and awesome. They can't quit saying awesome, okay? It's because it is, it's over the top. Uh, one of our buddies who works with our daughter, who's a missionary in Romania, Rachel's been over there 15 years, and uh, Dave and, and a couple other folks from England have come over to help and be part of that team. But Dave from England is definitely, bless his heart, he is an enthusiast, and he's so much fun to be around. I'll say, Dave, how you doing? Oh, I'm just, uh, it's an amazing day, George. Oh, it is? Well, good. That's great. Hey, hey, uh, let's, why don't we drive in 45 minutes to Radia? We'll grab a couple of double cheese. Oh, that would be amazing. That would be amazing. You know, everything is just amazing and over the top. Enthusiasts love to celebrate. Contemplatives love God through admiration. They have a pulse. You just don't know it sometimes, okay? <laughs> it's all right. They're a little more laid back, a little more reserved. We need all the different kinds of people and personalities. And the way they connect God is, please be quiet so I can hear him. And the way an enthusiast uh, type of a person, the way they connect with God is, let's make some noise till the steeple sways on top of the building just a little bit. And then there's the intellectuals. Ah, let's go on to the next one. I don't understand them at all, okay? No, they're, they're the last one. And... Uh, 
intellectual folks, if that's your main line of connecting with God, please know what a blessing you are to us because you're putting together things we're having trouble who might not be intellectually driven in understanding. They usually go into apologetics and making a good defense of the scriptures and this and that. But all of that to say, God wants you to feel his presence, but you're probably a little bit different than the person next to you. And all of the above are right. It's how you were made. Now, a couple of the scriptures that I found really helpful. John 3, Jesus talks to the Pharisees, and he says in verse 37, he says, one of the problems you have is there's no room in your heart for my message. The Pharisees were the religious leaders, and they said, we're going to hold on to Abraham, hold on to Moses, and we have our identity in him, and we don't need you. Yeah, we're waiting for a Messiah, but you're not what we had in mind. So over there. So when Jesus said, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery, but I tell you, don't lust. You've heard it said, don't murder, and I'm telling you, don't hate. They didn't want to hear that. They didn't want to be corrected publicly. And he says, the reason is there's no room in your heart for my message. If you and I want to feel the presence of Jesus, we have to keep creating room in our hearts for his message and help other people around us do that. I love Hebrews chapter 12, the first three verses, where it basically says, get untangled of the stuff you're tied up in, run the race, focus on Jesus, and don't lose heart. It's one of the most powerful passages that if you could ever hold on to, highlight three or four times, uh, big asterisk right by it in, in your Bible, and make sure you got a handle on it, because it, it simply says, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses that are cheering us on in heaven, Let's lay aside all the things that encumber us or the sin that so easily entangles us and run the race that's marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, seated now at the right hand of God, consider him who endured such hostility from sinful men so that you won't lose heart. We want to have the presence of Jesus. With him, we can handle anything, but if he gets pushed aside and we lose our focus on him, we will lose heart. I love to look at characters who long for the presence of God. Look in Cain and his story. I love it. I hate it. Genesis 4, I hate he killed his brother, but I love to see that God came next to him and gave him a warning before it happened. Has a one-on-one -on -one Tony Robbins moment with him and says, Cain, over here, listen, one-on-one -on -one personal coaching. He said, sin is crouching at your door, and you got to get a handle on this. It desires to own you. You can't let it. All Cain had to do was say, God, I'm as mad as heck at my brother, and I'm ashamed, I guess, a little bit too, that I, I, I threw a couple of ears of corn that had already been gnawed off by a couple of hogs, and that was my offering to you. And he came with a big, fluffy little lamb that you thought was all that. I guess I feel bad. I didn't give you much, did I? Why didn't he have that conversation? Why didn't he say, I'm sorry? You know how many embarrassed people never apologize? About 90%, you know? It's hard. We have to be humbled. But down deep, after you know the story, God says, I'm sorry, not taking your life, but you got a life sentence away from everybody else. Here's a mark on you, so nobody's going to come near you. And he says then, this punishment is more than I can handle. Oh, really? 
Your jealousy was more than he could handle. You see, down deep he had this longing for the presence of God. But he couldn't get past the hardness of his heart. And we got to try to help those folks. Joshua, I love in the Old Testament, he had followed Moses. He was mentored by Moses. He wasn't another deliverer like Moses. He's a military general. God doesn't always follow the same person with the same style. Rarely does he do that because another need has surfaced. And you hear God tell Joshua, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. And it's almost like he's saying, okay, okay, okay. Uh, And then all of a sudden God says, let me make it clear to you. As I was with Moses, I'll be with you. And almost you can just sense the sigh of, you're going to be with me like you were with him? I thought, I'm just going to kind of follow him and I'm the next guy, but he's the big guy. Oh, no. God says, I'm going to use who's next and who's next and who's next. And Joshua longed for the assurance of not doing this by himself and sucking it up and being strong and courageous. He said, God, i got to know you're with me. I I love the story of Simeon in Luke chapter 2. He's an old man. He's in the temple. Mary and Joseph are coming to the temple. Jesus has just been born a few days after Christmas, all right, right when all the sales are on, and they come to the temple. Just check and make sure they're listening. I say, okay, they're hanging in good. And and, and all of a sudden what happens is uh, here's Simeon. God has said, Simeon, I'm not going to let you die until you see the Messiah. I will allow him to born, and you will put your eyes on him. And then, you know, you would probably be called home, but I'm not going to let you die till you're right in the right time frame. So Simeon gets up every day. I wonder if it's today, going to the temple, looking around. Michael Card wrote a song called Now That I've Held Him in My Arms. Beautiful song. He just says, an old man in a temple waiting in the courts, waiting for an answer to a promise. And all at once he sees them in the morning sunlight, a couple coming carrying a baby. Mary and the baby coming in her hand, five shekels, the price to redeem her baby boy. The baby softly cooing, nestled in her arms. Simeon takes the boy and he starts to sing. Now that I've held him in my arms, my life can come to an end. Let your servant now depart in peace. I've seen your salvation. He's the light of the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. See, Simeon had this longing for the presence. He couldn't wait until God did the next thing. The father of a demon-possessed son, he said, Jesus, i got to have some help here. Can't do a thing with this kid. He's a mess. And help him if you can. Jesus said, if I can. He says, well, all things, all things are possible to him who believes. And the fellow says, I do believe, but help my unbelief. He says, I got a ways to go. I'm trying my best, but I, my faith is a little shallow. And in all honesty, in Mark chapter 9, we identify with him sometimes when life is hard. And right now we are surrounded by people in our life that are saying, I do believe, but help my unbelief. In the year of our health and our wealth, and with the soul of the nation, with the racial tension and all the other issues that we need to deal with and we need to honestly face and embrace God more than anything else. And God decides to let it happen on an election year? Are you kidding me? We have to be God's people who stand for Him and His grace and His love and invite people into His presence along with us. 
presence is sometimes misunderstood. The sad contrast in the Bible of Jacob in Genesis 28 and Samson in Judges 16, verse 20. Jacob has a dream that night. He has a stone for a pillow, so I don't know. He might have had a crick in his neck, but God decided to speak to him, and he sees angels going to heaven, coming back to earth, going up to heaven, coming back to earth, and they're just kind of back and forth, back and forth. And God is inviting him to realize, I'm giving you access to what I'm going to do in that dream. He wakes up and he says, surely the presence of the Lord was in this place, and I didn't know it. <laughs> I love that phrase of, here's God, and I, I missed it all this time, he's right there. I was telling Tyson before uh, uh, the message this morning, I said, it's okay if I share a little bit about it. last time I was here, because last time I was here, for me it was a God moment. Because I'm coming and I'm going to speak on the weekend, and that was when we had a Saturday night, and it was uh, the, the weekend that, that the leadership had to share that we're going to move Saturday night to Wednesday night. I said, okay, well, I know you've thought it through. Well, you know, leaders are all on board. Well, that, that'll be great. You know, God's going to bless that. And, and uh, he said, now we're going to have three different elders share. I said, okay, that might take a while, but I'll whittle my, da- my part down. My sermons are like baloney anyway. You can cut it here. You can cut it here. You can cut it here. And he just said, well, it might take a little while. I said, okay, now what's after them? Is there like a song? No, he says, it's you, right after them. I'm thinking, oh boy, (laughs) what if this doesn't go too good? Because I've sat in many a church meeting watching this happen. Like, you know, like, uh, I don't like this one bit. And I'm going to think about that and just see what you do. I remember that feeling. And it was anything but that. I listened to the first elder talk. And he shared a lot of bit of, of the, just the, the need for that and, and, and the thinking that had gone on. Uh, the second elder came on up and did a tremendous job of just sharing, okay, here's the math of the whole thing. Here's the, how it's going to happen and this and this and this. And then I heard the third elder come up and I thought, okay, I'm already convinced, but here comes another guy. All right, we'll, we'll sign on that. And, and, and he told a story. He gave us the why. Because he was teaching fifth and sixth grade boys on Wednesday night. And he said, we, we got some feedback from one of our kids. It really made me think. He said, we have a little card. It says, you line up number one, two, three, four, five on where you are with Jesus. Number one, you really haven't heard much about him. Number two, you kind of know about him, but not a lot. Number three, you've been coming here. You're learning more. Number four, uh, you, you've been baptized. Number five, you own a Bible, you know, and you, you, you know how to use it. And this little kid came up and said, mister, I don't agree with your chart there. And he said, well, what's wrong with it, buddy? He said, it needs a zero. He said, I don't know anything about what you're talking about, about Jesus, but I want to keep learning. And that was on Wednesday night. And I had a surely the presence of the Lord is in this place, and I didn't know it moment. See, when you navigate the challenge God gives you, he guides every step and shows up. Samson had a whole different feel. Because after a bad haircut from Delilah, she says, wake up, Samson. The Philistines are upon you, like she always did. And he thought he'd go out and kill the Philistines. But the Bible says in Judges 16, the Lord's presence had left Samson, and he wasn't aware of it. What a blessing to see the presence of God and you didn't really notice it till it was really thick and right there. 
And what a sad thing to assume the presence of God and he'd not be there. It's kind of like the contrast of Solomon and David. In, in 1 Kings chapter 3, Solomon prays for wisdom. Oh God, give me wisdom. I'm just a kid. How can I govern these people? And God says, that's a good prayer. To ask for wisdom, sure, I'll give you that and more. The sad thing is Solomon didn't follow it in the end of his life. God said, don't marry foreign women from other nations. Here's the only reason why they will bring their idols. And you'll be lighting candles to whoever late at night for their little worshiping of idols. Don't, don't marry them. And Solomon says, eh, you can't really stop me. So the Bible says in chapter 11, if you read 1 Kings 11, it's a very sad epitaph of Solomon. The wisest, wealthiest guy in the world faded away and his heart was taken from God because of the idol worship of his many wives. And you see that Solomon had a different prayer than his father David. I'm sure David had a moment, God, tell me what to do. But in Psalm 28, verse 4, here's what David prayed. The one thing, the one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. My hope and desire is that we will Long for the presence of God. And he will bring about the cool change and the margin and the refreshment with his presence in our life. Now, going to give it a shot. I'm just a hacker on a piano, though. But if I could change the words for a moment, and if you all want to sing along, you sure can, all right? But here's what I think. what I think maybe it might feel like if we said, God, give me time with you. There's one thing in my life that's missing. It's a time that I spend alone, listening to the voice of God, my Father. And it's kind of a special feel where my heart really feels at home. His voice to me calling like no other it's time for a cool change I know that it's time for a cool change Lord let my life be all rearranged I know that it's time for a cool change. Well, I was born in the family of God, and it's there that I feel my best, surrounded by my sisters and my brothers. And I'm grateful for every blessing. In Jesus I find my rest. But how I long for Him to draw me it's time for a cool change. 
that it's time for a cool change. Lord, let my life be all rearranged. I know that it's time for a cool change. My world can be divided. My mind can be confused. Create in me a clean heart so my life can be used. The Bible says in Psalm 1, blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the way of the sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. It's time for a cool change. I know that it's time for a cool change. Lord, let my life be all rearranged. I know that it's time for a cool change. Father, I pray that today, no matter where we are, we'd hold on to you. I pray that we'd be able to hear your voice and know that you're right there with us and you're going to guide us every step of the way. And right now, as we sing a song of commitment and invitation, I just pray that if, if anyone needs to have a moment to do business with you and talk with someone about accepting you or renewing their heart in you, I just ask you to give us the strength to do that. I pray, Lord, that you would be with this church as they reach out to this community and Tyson and the leaders and the staff who all love you deeply, God. I thank you for their, their faithfulness and I pray for their protection and blessing use this church as you have for so many years here in southern Indiana to let others know that there is nothing like the presence of your son. We pray in his name.